Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. We read this incredibly exciting and dynamic scripture in Numbers 33, 5 and it's 5 to 48, but I'm not going to read all the way to 48, and you'll see why. The Israelites left Ramesses and camped at Sukkot. They left Sukkot and camped at Etam on the edge of the desert. They left Etam, turned back to Pihahirot, to the east of Baal Zephon, and camped near Migdol. They left Pihahirot and passed through the sea into the desert. And when they had traveled for three days in the desert of Etam, they camped at Marah. They left Marah and went to Elim. And so it goes on for another 42 verses. There was a journey God was taking them on. In fact, some of the versions I looked at here, it looks like a whole list. Now, I love bulleted lists. But this is a real bulleted list. There's, there are places after places after places. And I tell the guys when we're doing preaching training, if you see hard words, then you need to practice them. This is one of those scriptures. There are all these very strange names in there that you need to practice if they even vaguely, uh, if what you're saying even vaguely looks anything like what's written on the page. The point was, God was taking them on a journey. If you try and map this journey out, even on a map, it's not the shortest line from one point to the other. And that has been similar to how God has been leading us as Venture Church over the last few years with the visions that he's given us, the vision that he's given us. Vision is about seeing. And it's about, for us, what we're doing this morning is about what God holds before us and said, this is what I want you to focus on for this season. So God's been on a journey and the last three years have been very much about building and growing and maturing. And they've kind of been a little in step. God is sending us in a different direction. You know, after the, after the children of Israel crossed over the, the Red Sea, they came out on the other side and they listened to God. And because they listened to God, they turned right instead of left. But I can imagine everyone, when they came to that point of turning, said, but everything's that way. Everything's the other way. Civilization's left. The promised land is left. But God has said, go right. And it was a very good reason he did that, as you read on in the story. And as we read on through our story in 2023, we are going to see why God has called us to what he has called us for this year. Because it's a little bit different. It's a little bit strange. It scares me a little bit when we as elders worked through this and felt that we had heard the voice of God. I was the first one to say, oh, I feel uncomfortable by that vision. I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, not never I'm not sure that I hadn't heard the Lord. I'm not sure that I want to pastor that vision because it's going to be difficult. Because, yeah, we'll see why, because. So this year is a totally different kind of vision. 
It's a whole year glazing, glazing. You're going to have to excuse me. I've been doing that for the last couple of days, mixing up my words. Gazing on the goodness of God. It's a whole year living it up or sticking it up. Thank you, guys. So our vision for this year is living it up. What does that mean? It means living, really living. Worship team, you are welcome to. Thanks for being caught up in the vision, but I love it. I really appreciate it. (laughs) It's about living, really living. There was a scripture from John 10 that came up on our Friday prayer meeting. I have come that you might have life and life abundantly, exceedingly. That's what God has already given us. That is not the testimony of most of us of the last three years. And this is partly why I'm a little nervous. Lord, what are you going to do amongst us? It sounds a little bit radical. How can we party in the land of lack? But if that's what God has called us to, if God's told us, called us to go right down to Sinai, not left up towards civilization and the promised land right now, then listening to him is what always brings the fruit, it's what always brings peace, it's what always brings joy, it's what life is really about. It's also living up. We need to lift up our eyes, lift up our heads, lift up our chins. A lot of us, I think, have, certainly last year, last year was tough, eh? A lot of us have felt like we've been walking, gazing down. It's really hard to see the horizon when you're looking down. I get like that when I'm, uh, I don't know, when I'm doing my daily run or my daily walk and the hill comes up. All I can see is my toes and about a meter in front. God is calling us to live up, live looking up, live with our chins up, not running with our feet, looking at our feet, but running looking forward, looking up, looking to the promises that he's given and is giving, living, really living, living it up, living life as a celebration of the goodness of God. I'm not denying the challenges around us, but I am feeling like God is saying, when was the last time you were thankful for everything that you do have instead of, even in a godly way, praying for what you don't have. We're gonna be living it up, celebrating the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, living with our chins up, living joyfully, not pickled in lemon juice, living the abundant life that he's already given us, that that John 10 promises us, John 10, 10. Inviting many others into the kingdom party. This is a year for celebrating, and that's our theme, just in case you hadn't noticed. And this is gonna be a party like no other. There will be drunkenness, but only on the new wine. There will be dancing, but only in the joy of the Lord. There will be music and singing, but only for our lover and Lord. 
And that's how we're going to start this morning. So can I ask you to stand? We're going to worship. We're going to focus on Jesus. And we are going to love Him and allow Him to lavish Himself upon us. So I trust as you've been worshiping and giving yourself to living it up, that you've met already with Jesus. And I also hope that you've been engaging with this, uh, with this phrase, with this tagline, as we like to call them, living it up. It's, uh, it, it's a phrase you do hear, but not often in church. <laughs> because living it up seems to indicate excess and going overboard. And that's part of what God really wants to communicate to us. He is the abundant God. One of my favorite, uh, all-time favorite texts in Colossians 1 talks about how he has lavished himself upon us. That word lavish is another one of those excess words. God has given himself excessively to us. And as you've thought about this idea of living it up, I hope you've also asked yourself, if it is a bit of a worldly phrase, where does he find it in the scripture? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. So let's turn to Colossians 3. So Colossians 3, 1 to 4 is the scripture that God has given us or God spoke to us out of for this year's vision. Colossians 3, I'm going to read it from the NIV, just the first four verses. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Just, I did read that right. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let's just spend a few minutes unpacking the scripture and see what it tells us about living it up. And I'm really literally going to unpack the scripture. So I'm going to start from the beginning. He starts with, since then, and since then that phrase introduces a result. So it's saying, hey, here is the result of what's come before. Since all of this is true, then this is the consequence of it. So there is a consequence to what he's been talking about uh, in chapter 2, or certainly most of chapter 2. So what is it? It's our release from human systems, especially human systems of religion. Religion focuses on my experience of something more. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is all about God's initiative reaching out to us. And Paul says to the Colossians, this is what you responded to, God's initiative. And because of that, he set you free from these other, what boils down to works-based uh, psychological expressions or sociological expressions. He set you free from dead religion, a workspace religion. And the other thing in, in chapter two is we have received the revelation of God in Christ. 
There's so much uh, wrapped up in there. And not today. We will get to looking at a bit more of unpacking the fact that God does not have a plan B. He never did and he never will. And that is incredible considering how bad sin is and how badly it has affected his good creation. That's what was before. Since then, we have been raised. So the first result of all of this setting free and of knowing Christ is that we have been raised. It's a statement of reality. God's done it in us. You have been raised. I remember when I was first studying Greek in my 20s, this idea of this this particular tense, the perfect past tense, is a beautiful combination of ideas. And despite the fact that I had been using it quite happily in English for several decades by that stage, it was like I was seeing something completely new for the first time. So when you read this kind of phrase, it has happened, what you're getting is something that has been done in the past, completed and perfected, but whose effects are still felt in the present. Can you believe it? There's something good in grammar. Because for me, that speaks profoundly, profoundly, deeply, impactfully to me of what God has done for us. It's not rooted in how I feel. It's not rooted in my circumstances at any given moment. It's rooted in the fact that Jesus has perfectly done this for all who believe. It's, it's not deposited in them. And we'll get to, to why it is safe and secure as we work through this, uh, through this scripture. But it has been perfected in you. And this introduces uh, what becomes a common theme, especially in the New Testament, of the already and the not yet. Can anything be added to the cross of Jesus? No. And the work that God achieved in him on that cross? No. And in the resurrection? No. Then why don't we see everything perfect now? Or is this your idea of perfection? No and no. This is the tension of the already and not yet. God has shown his perfection, but he is wanting to draw as many people into the understanding to the experience, to the reality, to the relationship of a living with him now for eternity. Not now and then eternity, now for eternity. If you haven't listened to the last couple of uh, preachers, the last series that we did, I encourage you because that unpacks that reality a bit. And we're going to be talking about it more because it is kind of foundational to what God is sharing with us. So there is, there is this, there is this tension. This already God has done everything in Jesus, but we don't yet see it manifest. We don't yet see it, and manifest just means become visible. It's not reveal; it's manifest, become visible. It's there, but we don't see it yet. 
And there's a tension, especially for those of us who have experienced that reality, especially for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus. We have been raised. It's not a progressive rollout of grace or a twofold appreciation. He has done it. And it is in Christ. Oh, Christianity is such a horrible, exclusive religion. Well, yes, if it was a religion, it really would be horrible and exclusive. But if Christianity is a response, which it is, to the living God who is there and who has created all of us, then it's not exclusive. (laughs) But it does require humility to embrace him for who he is and embrace him on his own terms. And that's one of the reasons why there is, this, there is this tension. It's one of the reasons why some people hate Jesus so much. Because they want him, or they want what he has, on their terms. We can never get it. And I'm saying we, as a species now, can never get that. Not because he's tight-fisted. Because he isn't. I started off by talking about the excessiveness of God. He isn't tight-fisted. He is lavish to those who are his. Oh, that's so exclusionist. Exclusivist. Well, yes. Because he has the right to be exclusive and to give what is his to whoever he wants. But for those who are prepared to receive him on his own terms, he is lavish. And even in that that lavishness, there is an already, but not yet. So all of this is in Christ. Just this raised, I want to, this raised is an interesting word. So in English, we immediately think raised. Oh yeah, we've been raised with him. That's a resurrection thing. Well, yes and no. Because yes, we are raised to newness of life. We are born again. We're not patched up. We're not healed when we give our lives to Jesus. We are born again. Why do we need to be born again? Nicodemus got hung up on how can we be born again? But why do we need to be born again? Because, as Paul says, Romans 6, we are dead in our transgressions and sin. We need to be birthed to have life come into us again. That happens in Christ. So yes, there is resurrection because it is the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in us that works this spiritual transaction in us that we call becoming a Christian, that we call being born again. So yes, there is resurrection in here, but it's not the usual word used for resurrection. That's anastasis or anastasis, if you use other vowel pronunciations, like our cousins across the waves. So anastasis is the the Greek word that is used consistently for resurrection, i.e. somebody who is dead, being raised to new life. The word here, seeing as we're throwing out a lot of Greek, is sunegero. That is stood up. 
It's when the sign falls over and we stand it up. It's when we trip on the step and fall down and we stand up. We get up. We are raised up. It has many similar uh, ideas in it, but it's not the same. And why am I making an issue of it? Because of this thing that we need to raise up our eyes. And we're just, gonna, we're just about to get to the, the key thought in Colossians about looking up and therefore living it up. So we have been raised with Christ. Raised with is one word in the Greek. With Christ. We have been raised. So why, why, is, this, why is this thing of looking up important? Well, give you a couple of scriptures. Acts 1 verse 9 says, After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. That is the ascension of Jesus. Ascension. Nobody went, ascended up a down escalator. Jesus ascended up into that. that the, the, the language there is very clear. He went up. He went up into heaven. And we looked last week about some of heaven and why heaven is up. Because God is above all things. Acts again, 7 verse 56. Look, he said, this is Stephen, I see Jesus Whoops, look, he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. We're just about to read in the next bit of verse two, uh, is that right? Two, yes. That Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Why is Jesus seated at the right hand? What does that mean? What is, the, what is the image? What is the picture there? Jesus is enthroned. But at Stephen's death, he stood. I half wonder if that, the impact of that is why the, those who were stoning Stephen were so utterly enraged when he made that statement. You are seeing Jesus, who has a position at the right hand of God, standing for you. I think that's one of the most extraordinary images of the book of Acts. Jesus standing to receive Stephen. The point is that Jesus has been raised, he has ascended to heaven, and he has a throne at the right hand of the Father. This is all um, picture language as well. So why the right hand of the Father? Not because the Father is right-handed, for all you lefties, it is because the right hand is considered the place of power from which an authority dispenses their power. So Jesus is in this enthroned in this position of power at the right hand of the Father. And we, it says, need to lift up our eyes, set our eyes on things above where Christ is seated. We need to set our minds on the things above. <laughs> this scripture has definitely had a bad rap. Why? Because it 
intended to make us Christians so heavenly minded we're no earthly use. That is not what it is saying. If we set our minds, and we'll see just now also our hearts, on Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God, we will become ultimately effective here and now. We will be so heavenly minded, we will be every earthly use. Because while we are at home in heaven, heaven is not our home, the eternal status the fullness of the resurrection is. The presence of God is, and we have the presence of God now. We have the reality that makes heaven heaven living in us now. We bring heaven to earth right here, right now. So set your minds on things above, not just fluffy clouds, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When we do that, we are living it up. Forgive me, that is my abuse of this, of this phrase, but that is at the heart of the vision. We set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and we live with our eyes on Jesus. It is so easy to trip over your feet when you're staring at them. Mind you, it's also easy to trip over things. But when, when you're looking up, but if you have your eyes on Jesus, he gives you the a direction, he puts your feet on a path that causes you, I'm going to use the word prosper in its fullness sense. So not just the, the tiny part, which is money, in the fullest sense where every part of your being bursts with the goodness of God. That's why the theme with living it up is celebration. Have we finished growing? No. Are we at perfect maturity? No. Shouldn't we be focusing on those? No, because God has called us to celebrate his goodness this year, to live it up and live looking up like Stephen did. So we are to set our minds on heavenly things where Jesus is ruling and reigning already. We need to embrace the good things that we already know and live in them. It's a real pressure to live out the reality of the gospel day to day. It really is. If we have integrity, we are prepared to accept that. Might not be for you, but it definitely is for me. It's tough to really stand for Jesus and not to compromise. The devil knows your weaknesses, probably because he gave them to you. And he doesn't hit you where you're strong. He hits you where you're weak. But guess what? The promise of God is that when we raise up a standard, he will come in like a flood. So we need to set our minds it's never accidental. We have to set our minds. We have to be intentional. Naturally, it's, it's like spiritual entropy, which is a big fancy word from physics, which means that every system, what is it? Second or third law of thermodynamics, that every system, where are the engineers? 
<laughs> that, that, that every system left to its own devices will tend towards what we call the most chaotic, where the energy is most evenly distributed amongst the whole system, i.e., nothing happens. Spiritual entropy. We have to set our minds. It has to be intentional. It has to be deliberate. We have to set our We have to choose to prioritize Jesus. We have to choose to live it up. We have to choose to celebrate. We have to choose to set our minds on things above, on Jesus, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's the end of verse 2. He's enthroned in heaven, God's space. This is a declaration of the ultimate power of the universe and of our access to him. Not to it, to him. He's pictured as, as not striving, but sitting. Even though everything's not yet subdued under his authority. But heaven is assailable, unassailable. Just ask the devil. The only major onslaught there's ever been on heaven, the only major attack has been the devil and his angels. And we have a record of them failing. If that's true, and our security and our Lord and King is enthroned in that context, in that place, then that's where our future, that's where our security, that's where our safety, that's where our assurance is rooted and grounded. It's not taken away from us. It's not for some time in the future. It's put somewhere where moth and rust can't destroy and thief cannot break in and steal. In the presence of God. And remember, God's space is not far away. It's just his space. God's space breaks in right here, right now. Why? Because he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. Verse 3 starts, and forgive me for whoever's doing the PowerPoint, because I'm all over the place. Set your hearts, he's echoing now, reinforcing the set, uh, the set your minds. Jesus' Jesus's demonstration of authority provides a basis for our emotional and mental stability. Jesus' demonstration of authority provides a basis for our physical, mental, spiritual stability. Again, there's a need for intentionality. You know, if you have to uh, take tablets and as you get older it becomes harder and harder to avoid, you need to take them in order to live in the effect of them. If you don't take the tablet... You don't have the effect. You have to be intentional. And don't take your Jesus tablet. Fill yourself with him. Set your mind, set your heart, he's now saying, on things. It's a holistic picture. Just in case you got this idea that it's just about your head, it's about the whole of you. That's why when we prayed the other day for healing, we prayed for physical healing. We prayed for emotional healing. And we prayed for business healing. 
God cares about all of that. We're not being worldly by talking about things like business or emotions in the life of the church. We are embracing the fact that it is all Jesus's. It's all God's. He's not interested in it because you're involved in it. He created you to be able to earn wealth. Not all of us the same, but he created you and he wants to bless you in it. Therefore, when you have a business problem, who should be the first person you go to? Not the business consultant, not the latest book or theory, to Jesus. And then you can look in (laughs) the latest book or the latest podcast or whatever the case may be. Because those things have value. They have value as submitted to Jesus. So set your hearts not on earthly things. So Paul is now introducing a contrast. And again, this is where this scripture has been misrepresented in making us so heavenly minded we're no earthly use. The The contrast boils down to this. Setting your heart and mind is about who has you. When you set your mind on Jesus, Jesus has you. When you don't, something else does. Whether it's business or sport or pleasure or children or whatever the case may be, all of these things can become idols to us when we haven't set our hearts on Jesus first. Setting your heart and mind is about who has you. He goes on, and I'm going to try and land this quickly now because it's all reinforcing what's already been said. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden because it's inextricable. It can't be extracted from heaven. If we're physically here, but our spiritual life is connected with Jesus in God's space, which is not even that far away, then it is inaccessible to anybody except Jesus and me. In other words, as Paul once put it, who can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Can circumstances, can people? No, nothing can. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I am dead to the old ways of life, even though sometimes my habits try and tell me they're very alive. I am dead. It's another aspect of that already, but not yet. Where do you choose to set your mind? Do you choose to set it here on earth, on earthly things? And I'm just gonna, once more, I'm just gonna say, God has gifted you with gifts. And yes, we read about some of the, the spiritual ones in the, in the scripture, but God has gifted you to be a physiotherapist, an accountant, even a software engineer. God has given you that gift, whatever it may be. Embrace it as his gift. Yes, you may have to study. Guess what? I had to study to fulfill my spiritual gift of preaching. I promise you, I wasn't this good before. And in fact, for those of you who've been in the life of the church for a while, you will have seen me grow in my gifting. Good. 
Because hopefully that encourages you that you too can. Because if God can do it with me, then you've got a good chance. God gives good gifts to his children, to all of us. Embrace what it is. Make Christ the center. Live it up. In your gifting, live it up. A life, living life, looking to Jesus, enthroned at the right hand of God, with our feet firmly on the ground and our hearts happily in the courts of heaven. That's my description of the attitude that God wants us to embrace. I'm going to read it again. Living life, looking to Jesus, who is enthroned at the right hand of God, with our feet firmly on the ground and our hearts happily in the courts of heaven. That's what living it up is all about. So what what can we say to all of this? There is really good reason to celebrate. But celebrate what? Celebrate being in Christ and looking to Him. Looking to Jesus. Looking up. Living up. Living it up. The Lord has a different focus for us this year. We're not focusing on the labor of building. Though building will happen. We're not focused on getting to know Him better. Though we will get to know Him better. But the focus is on Jesus and celebrating who we see and consequently living, really living. So, what are we going to do with all of that? Firstly, I want to ask you to commit yourself to living it up. It's not usually difficult to ask people to do stuff that's fun. But as I've unpacked this, hopefully you've realized this is really holistic and it's not always based in how we feel but it is based in on Jesus so the first thing I want to ask you is to commit yourself to living it up commit yourself to God's vision commit yourself to the focus that he's given us as Venture Church do it I'll lead us in prayer just now deliberately and consciously Living it up. Committing to Christ and not allowing life to swallow you up. Then, be the change you long to see. Change starts with thinking differently. Living it up is thinking differently. Choosing to live rather than struggle. Choosing to look up rather than getting uh, caught up in the immediate. Choosing to set your mind on Jesus, set your heart on Jesus. That intentionality is what, you need, what we need to embrace, to live it up. So be the change you long to see. Be part of the solution. And this is a, for us living in South Africa at this, this time and being believers in Jesus, This is utterly essential for us. Be the change you long to see and be joyful in everything. You can't win every battle on your own, but you can live 
like you know someone who will bring all things to right. So be part of the solution. Choose to be. Focus on God's love and grace to you rather than on trying to live up to some kind of standard. That's what Colossians 2 said is behind us. Since we've let go of that, Jesus brought us in. Now I want us to do a, let's call it a prophetic declaration, activation of this that I've, that I've been talking about, of this living it up. And it's gonna seem super tame once I, now that I've talked to you about living it up. But to try and accommodate all of us and where we're at and the fact that for, for some of us living it up is, and for others it's going ballistic. I want to lead us physically in a procession out the door, leaving the old way behind, leaving the old year behind, in the door as we choose to come back in to God's way, God's way, God's plan, God's way, as we choose to embrace living it up. Is that okay? So I'm going to turn the microphone off now, and I'm going to walk that way. Please follow me. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.